welcome to today's episode of TapCast. I'm your host, Chloe Warzyniak. On today's episode, I talk to Ariel Otruba about incorporating storytelling into our classrooms. Let's get started. Uh, so to get started, tell us a little bit about your background and your current role at Rutgers. Okay. Uh, my name is Ariel Otruba. I am a PhD candidate in the Department of Geography here at Rutgers. Uh, I identify as a feminist political geographer. Uh, I work on border conflict and what I call violent geographies. Um, And that kind of builds off my background before I came to Rutgers, which was in international peace and conflict resolution. Um, So I'm really interested in space and conflict, basically. Cool. Um, So... What is storytelling as pedagogy, and how did you get interested in it? Oh, well, I guess a good place to start is to just pose a question. Who doesn't like a good story? Good right? point. <laughs> um, I've always loved good stories. Um, even when I was a child, uh, my parents used to take me to a storytelling festival. I had parents who read to me at night. Um, and as I've began teaching, I started thinking about the way I could integrate stories into the classroom as a way of teaching material. So I think that's the gist of storytelling as pedagogy is the way that we integrate stories as a technique for teaching our material. And I think there's various dimensions to that. So uh, there's an article out there on anecdotal pedagogy, for instance, and that frames storytelling as a rhetorical strategy um, to capture the attention of students in the classroom. I think we should think of it in a a broader way. That's one technique that you can use with storytelling. But I think you can also integrate uh, stories into how you design your assignments, for instance. Uh, Well, I think what led me to kind of think about this as like a deliberate strategy in teaching. Um, it's something I've always been doing, right? In the classroom, uh, you you introduce a lesson. Uh, I think it's helpful to sometimes tell stories about your personal life or maybe, or more uh, particularly, your field work, right? As it relates to the class, as a way of drawing students in, as a way of making the material relatable. And I think that's the most important benefit of storytelling as pedagogy is that it it makes something abstract or challenging relatable to students. It grounds it in reality um, because people construct worlds around and through stories. So it's a way of understanding how the world is, how meaning is created. Um, and especially since I'm someone who studies conflict, the truth is often obfuscated, is contested. So it's easier to focus on how people are constructing meaning, how they're thinking about the world that they live in, rather than trying to argue about like real facts. So on where the did ground. this idea come and from? And I you? think so part of it comes from my field work where I'm interviewing people who have experienced violence and trauma and have contested versions of what have happened, and also about thinking through different 
ways of relating to my students and helping them better understand material that might be um, too abstract for them. Um, so when I do assignments, I like to often, you know, find a good story, whether it's like an ethnographic chapter, a documentary, and I'll pair that with maybe that like dense theoretical work. That way they can have like, if they can't understand the dense theoretical stuff, they at least have the story to help them kind of work through and make sense of those ideas, whatever it is that we're talking about. So could you tell us about a little bit more detail about how you've incorporated this into the classroom and um, your experiences of, uh, with the assignments that you've used and things like that? Yeah. So on the one hand, I try to integrate stories during classroom time during lecture, during discussion. So the first way is, as I mentioned before, just sharing stories. Uh, I think it's a way of humanizing our material. I think it also builds trust with your students. Um, It can show your faults, which is always sometimes helpful when you're teaching things. Uh, It demystifies the whole sage on the stage thing. Um, So I think it's a great way to grab attention of your your classroom um I've definitely had moments where you know I'm standing in front of the room and I'm describing something I went through and you can actually feel everyone's eyes shift towards you it's like laser focus um so there's definitely something really powerful about telling a good story it doesn't have to be the most articulate either I think that's other people have written about that but it does have to be genuine right um And you have to be careful about how you tell those stories because you don't want to seem like you're trying to be emotionally manipulative. Um, And you want to make sure that it really relates to whatever it is you're teaching because otherwise it just leads to tangents and you got to keep your learning goals in mind when you're telling a story. So that's probably the first way is by telling stories. The next would be by, I think, showing stories maybe. I don't know if that's the best way to frame it, but using different types of multimedia uh, to allow students to hear people tell their stories. So maybe playing a podcast or a documentary or even having them do some kind of narrative analysis in in class where you give them maybe a couple of different um, first-person accounts of an event and ask them to analyze them using the concepts that you're studying. Those could be activities that you do. Um, The other way is to think about storytelling as assignments. And the research on storytelling is really interesting on this point. It actually says that, yes, stories are really compelling. um, They can help with memory. But it's more important to empower students to tell their own stories, that there's more value in learning if they're the ones telling the stories and not listening to the stories. So... For me, I've experimented with uh, recently this idea of like writing first-person narratives uh, and stories that demonstrate whatever is the concepts that I'm using and using that as a way for them to work through ideas but not relying on the tried and true dry academic paper, right? And this is, I think, especially good for new students right freshmen uh I think this is it's a good way of like 
breaking them into academic norms without it being too stodgy or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Making it more fun, at least, yeah. I hope. Right. Um, how have students responded to these ideas? Well, the assignment that I've been doing most recently, I've been calling it migrant stories. Um, so as I mentioned before, I'm a geographer. So one of the classes I've been teaching at Rutgers, mostly over winter and summer session, is called Human Geography, Space, Place, and Location. Uh, it's our one of our signature courses. It's Geography 103. Geography majors and minors absolutely have to take it. It's also a core class. Uh, core is Rutgers' version of Gen Ed. Um, it satisfies historical and social analysis credits. So you get a lot of non-majors who take this class. Most of them are freshmen or sophomore. Um, so you really want to take that into consideration when you're teaching, right, that you're not just teaching to would-be geographers later on. Um, and I've been doing this assignment called Migrant Stories for my unit on human migration and mobility. And uh, basically the assignment is to write a first-person narrative, a historical fiction narrative, to be more specific, that uses real-life details in a fictional story. So they can make up the story, but the details of their story have to come from, from real-life context. So the way that this is facilitated, usually uh, in the short version that I do in this class, is that I will give them a series of scenarios for migrants. So last semester um, that I taught, I gave them, they got a choice to pick from two scenarios. They could write a story, first-person perspective, as a male migrant coming from uh, the Middle East or North Africa to Europe. So that kind of represents the migration crisis issue. And their second choice was to travel from Central America as a woman or child to the United States. And that helps kind of get at um, this question of open borders, the United States immigration policy, how that's evolved over time. So they can pick an example that's more close to home, something that's highly politicized in the United States that they may even have personal experience with because we don't know who our students are. Or if they're interested in something a little bit farther away, they can also think about it in the context of the migration crisis. If I were to do this assignment in a long format – where you know maybe migration was the topic of the whole class, I would not be as restrictive. But since it's a small assignment, I find giving clear parameters is more helpful to the students in tracking down information. So the way that they go about this assignment is that they take this scenario that they've been given, and then I give them a series of recommend recommended resources. They can find their own, but I give them a list. And it includes everything from documentaries to podcasts to peer-reviewed journal articles to magazine to blogs where people have told their migration story. And the idea is that they write their story using the details and the context of those real stories. But they can mix and match the details, right? They just have to make sense. In the process, they have to answer a series of questions in their stories. The first is has to do with the learning goals of the class, push and pull factors, 
why do migrants leave? Why are they attracted somewhere? So they have to discuss their motivation for leaving. They also have to demonstrate their understanding of forced and voluntary migration, which is often not clear, especially in context of labor migration, right? This idea of feeling like you need to go somewhere for economic opportunities, it's easy to write that off as voluntary, but often we have to look at the larger geopolitical context of that country that they're leaving from to better understand um, how their social mobility has been limited in different ways. So that's part of it. They have to talk about the struggles or obstacles that they face in their journey, as well as talk about the geography of their journey. So they have to identify where they're leaving from, where they're going, and how did they make that? Because a lot of migration stories actually talk about transportation, right? So if you're coming from North Africa, you may be taking a boat, right? If you're coming from Central America, you might be riding La Bestia, or you might be walking through the desert. There are many ways in which you can make that journey. You may be paying smugglers. You may not. And I don't really restrict them. So the situations that I've just described would represent often uh, what we would call illegal migration journeys. I never tell them that they have to choose that as their plot, they could actually describe the process of legally immigrating to another country. Most of them don't think of it that way, but it isn't an option. I have had a couple of people write about legal migration paths. So maybe they did take an airplane, right? They could reasonably describe that in their story. But the idea is they, they read real stories and they take those details and they have to make those details make sense in their story. And they have to, they kind of, we do a modified version of citations, right? They give a work cited um, and maybe like give footnotes to show that like, hey, you know, this person being smuggled, that detail came from this article or this podcast or documentary that I read, that kind of thing. Do the students, excuse me, do the students get into it or or they tend to be like, man, it's just another writing assignment or... Uh, well, it's interesting because I've been doing this assignment in the online version of my class, so I've never actually had a chance to have a face-to-face debrief with a class about what they thought of this assignment. However, I read their papers, and I don't know what it is, like, teacher sense, (laughs) but you can tell when students get into an assignment just based on the quality of their writing. Mm -hmm. I get the best quality writing on this assignment than any other assignment. Really? Yes. Wow. (laughs) So I I would like to look into this further and do maybe some pre and post testing and things and uh, maybe have a sit down with students someday to figure out like, where is this working? Where is it? Isn't it working? But I've had a couple conversations with students like after the course ended and we had the final and that was in person. Um, One student was an immigrant himself Hmm. and thought the assignment was really powerful because not only did he read all these stories to make his own, but like his life experience was defined by immigration. Um, And he had migrated multiple times. Like his parents had moved 
I forget where he was from, but to like Australia. And then as an adult, he immigrated to the United States. So he had gone through the process multiple times and actually included a note like on his paper about how his real life experience informed the way he was writing this story. And I found that to be like really, you know, powerful. Um, And like I said, the whole thing with narratives is about making it relatable, right? Nothing's more relatable than your own lived experience. So I've gotten the sense uh, that this this assignment works and the grades are, I mean, they're able to meet the... um, the criteria well like there's usually not any doubt for me that they understand push and pull factors or um like the factors that affect mobility because i can read those details in their stories without them having to explain it and it's most are written so well that there's no doubt that they understand those things so for me that's a win but i think definitely it would be helpful to have some kind of diagnostic tools to better assess like the success of this so far I'm, I'm happy with it awesome so other than not being able to debrief in person with the students are there any unique challenges of doing this type of a- assignment because stories feel very personal and in an online course feels less personal, personal. <laughs> yeah I totally agree uh yeah so one of my bigger Uh, I guess, motivations as an educator. Uh, And this is probably because all the work I've done in conflict resolution is actually like really making effort to humanize my material, uh, to help students build emotional intelligence, uh, to be more compassionate. Although, you know, I think the jury's out on whether that can be taught. I've read mixed things. And there's also an ethical question about like, is it should we be manipulating people's hmm. emotions that way? So I think that's one of the tricky things with an assignment like this. It, like, I want them to be more emotionally intelligent because the discussion of immigrants and migration is so polarized. They mm-hmm. are a very easy scapegoat. They are at the head of many toxic political discourses. Mm-hmm. So... Maybe I don't want to change their mind because I don't think that should be my goal. Uh, But it would be nice if they're able to walk away being able to recognize an alternative perspective than their own. I think that's a different skill, right? Like I don't have to change their position in life, but to be able to talk about um, another person's experience and and have insight into that I think is a really important skill and in in the social sciences where we're dealing with questions of justice right I think that's key central so for me that's uh like it's a challenge it's an ethical challenge like how far do I go there's also a part where we we're always surrounded in these images and discourses of violence And you have to ride the line of, like, am I sensationalizing this topic? Am I somehow making it pornographic? Uh, Like, how far do we go? And I think with this assignment, it kind of starts to ride the line, right? Because you're also asking them to make up a story. So some of the stories, well, 
some of them are like real tear jerks. <laughs> I'll admit, like I've read them and been like, wow, like you wouldn't know it wasn't a real story because a lot of tragedy befalls mm-hmm. migrants, right? Um, but then you're like, oh, is this a reflection of reality or is it because the student has sensationalized this? So I think that would be one of the places that would be helpful to have other types of measures on the assignment so I could better gauge, like, maybe they're not taking the assignment as seriously as I think they are, or maybe they are. Like, it's hard to tell without, like, those broader class discussions where you could get a sense of, like, how they process this information. I mean, maybe they're just really good storytellers, <laughs> right? That's kind of the – I think one of the challenges online teaching this is, like, you don't really have a way – to measure it as well as you would maybe if we had more face-to-face debrief. Um, Yeah, I think there's also the risk that, um, you know, it's about maybe some people would have questions about, like, scientific rigor, Mm. right? That uh, this type of informality is, like, not what we should be doing in higher education, uh, that it's may lead to hasty generalization or stereotypes. I mean, I would like to argue that I'm trying to fight back and push back against that, that by, like, delving into the individual experience of people is pushes back, right, against that. But I, I have a feeling that not everybody would necessarily agree with that. And I, I, I understand that. Um, yeah. I think those are the main challenges I, in this type of approach. I'm sure there are others, but for me, those are the ones that I've given like a lot of thought to. So given how much thought you've put into those, have you taught this course more than once and, and done this assignment? I've done this assignment at least two times. So given all these challenges that you thought about, has it changed? Yeah, the first time I did it, I, it was much more open-ended. So the second time I added an intersectional component, um, which means I added the bit about stipulating whether it had to be a man, a woman, or a child. And that's because uh, scholars like me, who are feminist political geographers who study mobility, would argue that mobility is always gendered. It is always impacted by sex, race, class. Um, and those are the things that we should be looking at, those, those factors and how they influence a, the ability of a person to go somewhere else or how it affects their journey there, right? Are they exposed to a certain type of violence because of their body, right? Like it's about embodied experience. Um, so I add an intersectional component um, at least in the, the later version of the class, because I thought that was teaching an important lesson related to, like, the theoretical kind of discussion of mobility, right? Like, they can get at a higher level concepts and not even know that we're getting at them, right, <laughs> by asking them to think about those questions, right? So if you're a child, how is your journey different than if you were an adult male? And your journey looks a lot different. Definitely. So I, I force students to think about that um, in the later version of the class, uh, which I didn't, I think, the first time that I ran it. I've also thought about what I would do 
given the chance to make this a longer assignment. So for right now, I teach it as a unit assignment. It's short, 1,500 words. They turn it in at the end of one of eight units. So it's not like a major term paper or anything, but I have thought about the way that I would do it differently if it were a larger assignment. And the first thing I would do is sequence it. So we'd start out with a topic proposal and brainstorming in which I could give them feedback. So they could give me the gist of their plot, the locations that they want to deal with with their characters. I could give them approval. I could help them think through, does that work? Does that make sense? Um, And then the next step would be maybe do an annotated bibliography. Um, That way they do all their research first. And then they can revisit their you know, proposal to see, does my story make sense? Uh, Do I need to find more resources to answer these questions? And again, it's that iterative loop. In a one-off assignment like this, you don't get a chance to have that feedback with the student and help them improve and think through. So there's a lot of stories where when I hand them back, I'm like, these are the questions you didn't answer. And if we had more feedback, we would be able to like dig in and they would be able to find those details. I could also recommend sources to them because I know it's overwhelming to find information sometimes. Um, The internet is a big scary place. (laughs) Uh, And then I would have them do a first draft of the story, low stakes first draft, and then have them do a final version. Um, There would be, I think, less constraints in terms of plot just because I think there's value in students having like autonomy and control over topic development. They have more power to pick things that are important to them rather than being told what to do. So I'm a big fan of that model, but I also understand that sometimes giving them stricter parameters has benefits as well. But I think in a long form version, I would give them more freedom to say like, hey, I want to look at uh, a Bangladeshi woman who lives uh, in an enclave next to India and how do they maneuver that. That's a very different type of story than, you know, a migrant child coming from Honduras to the United States. But it's nonetheless still a border story, right? A migrant story. It's just a different kind of story. So... This long-form assignment that you mentioned, would that be in a different course, not not in this um, general I think course? it would work if the class were, like, focused on migration or borders, right? So more of a special I, – I imagine it to be part of, like, a special topics course. So what would be the target audience of that course? That course, I would envision – Upper level students, so three, four hundred level class, juniors, seniors. I think that also changes how serious the the students mm-hmm. would take this task. Um, then when you do it with freshmen, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, for good and bad, right? I think one thing I'm excited about this assignment is that it can translate into an upper level course. But I think it can also speak really well to new students who are, like, being newly introduced to a topic. I think you can tell stories at different levels of complexity. And you can – it travels. It travels well. So I think in the long form, I would foresee it for, like, an upper-level kind of class. 
um, smaller class size, you know, more theoretical. But they could, I think, really highlight those theoretical debates more in a long-form assignment and a story that was longer, too, that in a short story, they're not really getting at those, like, deeper policy debates, right? Or the the geopolitical conditions that uh, structure somebody's migration, right? The, in a long form, they could maybe get into the history of the places that they're coming from and that kind of stuff in a way that, like, a letter to, to a friend in a thousand words maybe doesn't get at. So one of the things you mentioned earlier in the ways that you changed the course um, was adding this intersectionality component. Um, and then for this long form, you said you have a little bit less structure. Would you still want to try to get something like that included? And if so, how do you think you would approach um, including that? I think uh, in the short form, I would stipulate, like, the scenario. Mm. In the long form, they would get to choose their positionality, uh, but they would have to, I think, explain that in, like, the proposal stage. Mm. So they, they would still end up ticking off that, like, learning goal, but they have a little bit more freedom to decide, hey, do I want to write this story from the perspective of, like, an older woman, a young woman, a young man, an old man, that kind of thing. Like, I give that choice back to them to decide instead of giving it to them, like, on a menu to pick from. That makes sense. So uh, you've been teaching for, for a while. Um, do you have any advice for new TAs, either uh, someone interested in this uh, storytelling pedagogy or just new TAs in general? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I think everybody can use some storytelling in their classes. Uh, it doesn't matter what discipline you're from. We actually, um, I'm part of the TA project uh, and we do workshops and I helped uh, co-organize a workshop recently and someone in the group, I think maybe they were in math something that was a little more quantitative mm -hmm. and they were talking about having trouble keeping students engaged and keeping it relevant and I remember commenting back I was like well you know you can add storytelling to any subject as a way of like drawing students in making if it's math that you're teaching like tell a story about math in everyday life, right? Like even if it's not directly related to the concepts or that you're working on, it's a great icebreaker. It's a great way at the beginning of class to like draw people's attention in or at the break to bring them back in. So I think there's room for storytelling across the disciplines. And I think there's a range of ways that stories are told. Like I said, I use a mix of different mediums from podcasts to uh, ethnographic fiction to uh, documentaries. If it has a visual, I think that's even better. Um, at the end of courses, I sometimes give final exams that are more reflective. And I've been doing one that involves asking a question about you know, what did you learn? What are you going to take away? What will you remember? 
And almost always, students recount the best story that they heard in their answers to those questions, um, which I found really interesting. Like, if I show a documentary with an article and it was a powerful story, that's what they write about in that Mm -hmm. final essay exam question. It's not some abstract concept. It's like, hey, we watched this documentary on um, mail-order brides in Ukraine, and it had to do with these concepts that we were learning in class. You, could, you can tell that they were able to ground it because of the stories that you provided, the context that you provided. Um, and I think that really speaks to this as like a powerful methodology to use in classes. So, yeah, whenever you can, use stories. Um, in terms of generally, is that what you're looking for? <laughs> whatever, Advice. whatever you have, yeah. Uh, what's really benefited me is to find ways of integrating the things I do as research into the class, um, because it's very easy when you're teaching to teach and forget about your research. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I've been here a long time, so I can say that. <laughs> um. And I'm really passionate about teaching, and I think it's easy to be passionate about teaching because it's so rewarding. And it's uh, there's a lot of extrinsic motivation <laughs> um, and accountability. People are relying on you to deliver um, a lecture, a product, whatever. Uh, whereas when you're doing your research, it can be very isolating and alone. So if you can find ways to tie those two things together, I think it'll motivate you to be a great teacher, but it'll also motivate you to think about your research and to help you practice presenting your research. I found uh, my research can be complex to explain, uh, and students sometimes want to know what I work on. And I've had to rethink the way I talk about my research to talk to freshmen, right, who know nothing about unrecognized territories or (laughs) the former Soviet Union, right? Those are things they may not know. So teaching has given me a chance to learn how to uh, translate my work in different ways Um, and to just share the things that are important to me in the design. Like this assignment, I study mobility issues as part of my research, so this gives me a chance to kind of like create an overlap between those two. My thanks again to today's guest, Ariel Otruba. For more information about the TA project, you can find us on the web at tap.ruckers.edu. And to stay up to date on all the latest TA project news, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you enjoyed today's episode, consider sharing with a friend. Until next time, thanks for listening.